Hello and welcome to Multiverse of Marketing. I am Crash and Burn, and with me as always is J.R. Sweeney. Hello. Hello. How are I've you? I've only been doing this for four, five, seven years. Eventually I'll get the hang of, like, recording. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it's a difficult thing every time you essentially want to start over and forget everything that you have learned. I'm like an Alzheimer's patient. Every time I do this, I'm just like, <laughs> what button do I press? Where am I going? My grandkids aren't here to help me. Who are you people? Uh, anyway, yeah, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm as fantastic Good. as, and I know this is going to be uh, apparently a, a, a scandalous opinion, I am as fantastic as the book we are talking about today. Uh, and, and yes, I'm I'm standing by that. I fucking love it. I love this book. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we are talking about a movie adaptation. This is the first movie adaptation we have covered. It's a little different from the next movie adaptation we'll cover in a couple of ways, but we'll get to that later. This is Bram Stoker's Dracula, as drawn by Mike Mignola. Yeah. And so I guess we have to start first by talking about Topps Comics, because there's a lot of people who may not be aware of Topps Comics. They did not last long. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, basically, in 1992, Topps, the trading card company, was like, we're going to make comics. And... For six years, they did. And they managed some pretty big pulls. They started doing a Kirby-verse. They brought Jack Kirby in to create a bunch of stuff. Additionally, they all, they did comics for Zorro, Xena and Hercules, X-Files, the one I was most aware of at the time was Jurassic Park because my best friend growing up uh, collected all of those. And they had not a, they originally started out doing just an adaptation of the movie, but then they started doing like a series about raptors and a bunch of other shit, stuff like that. They did the odd original thing because like for example one of the one of the characters they had was lady rawhide who appeared in zorro and then was spun off into her own series uh things like that most of the original characters they had were introduced in the the kirby verse they did also, uh, I will point out, they did also uh, comics of Mars Attacks, too. Oh, those were delightful. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, they just had a ton of things. Uh, it looks like, oh, one thing I did forget, they had Duckman. Remember Duckman? Oh, I remember uh, Duckman. I, I watched late night television in the 90s. Yeah, fucking Duckman, right? <laughs> uh, and then they did like a number zero and a number one of Exo Squad, you know, things like that. Like they were they were on my radar, but didn't really make a big splash. But one of the 
like if not the first thing they did was an adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. We don't really need to cover the plot of Dracula. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It not only is it quite literally Dracula, one of the most overmade and kind of at at this point omnipresent stories of the 20th century going into the 21st he's your prototypical vampire we all know it we've at least seen cartoon versions if not the leslie nielsen version from mel brooks (laughs) if not this specific version which is right also a film this is francis ford coppola's bram stoker's dracula it is the adaptation of that exact movie keanu reeves is in this comic book right yeah and for me the major the major thing was this was as we discussed this was mike mignola and this was before hellboy yeah this is just before hellboy and you can feel it coming it it's it's well, kind of yeah. like like it's like the sign before a a uh, a, a mythic event like like right. oh it's been prophesized and and <laughs> there there's there's a blood moon and and Mike Mignola <laughs> just drew Bram Stoker's Dracula something's coming into the well, world yeah and this this predates even Hellboy's first appearance in that con special by a few months so hellboy was in the process of being birthed into the world but it hadn't yet hit and so before this i think the only thing i might have i know so i know he did the rocket raccoon miniseries but a that wasn't really in his what we've come to know as mike mignola's style yeah and b i didn't i don't know about you i didn't read that until the 2000s yeah it it took a very long time for me to give a shit about that the the first exposure i think i had to mike mignola when was when he was doing he was generally inking art adams covers for x-men classic and then during the storyline in x-men when storm uh was bitten by dracula mike mignola actually got to do the covers for those issues of a of x-men classic i remember that that was good yeah that was and those were very much in his what we've come to know know as his style yeah for me, it was, and, and this is like a very odd place to find his style, but if you if you know like the lore of Hellboy, this is something that he plays a lot in when it comes to like uh, aspects of steampunk, but with like ancient societies and shit. It would be the World of Krypton miniseries that yeah. explored like the, the history of the Eradicator and how the post-crisis Krypton became eventually irradiated uh, by this civil war. And it's beautiful and foreboding and really atmospheric. And he gets to draw a lot of janky sci-fi, like golden Mm. age sci-fi nonsense. And so, yeah, like my introduction to him is much more 
I I don't want to say light, whimsical, whimsical, sci-fi whimsical. Right. Yeah. Well, this was ultimately because I had a friend who collected all of the tops comics this was the first this was the first full-blown experience i had with mike mignola and honestly what a fucking introduction incredible like if if you read this before seeing the movie could you imagine the disappointment you would feel watching that i can because i did oh Uh, no I mean, don't get me wrong. Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula or Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Bram Stoker's Stoker's. Dracula brought to you by State Farm. Uh, (laughs) No, I it. It was good. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, personally, I adore it. It's it's queer camp is all hell. And that is why I adore it. Right. And and that's not for everyone, and certainly not what you were expecting in a Dracula film from 1992. Yeah, I mean, and I and I enjoyed the movie, but in my head the entire time I'm like comparing it to this, and because. Because, like I said, it was really my first exposure to the incredibly moody art Mike Mignola is capable of. Yeah, everything everything in that movie was sort of, sort of filtered through the lens of, yeah, but is it as good as the Mike Mignola adaptation? Yeah, like, that. the adaptation is itself terrifying in a... a- dark and encompassing way that the the movie simply isn't yeah it gets into your soul there's a little part of you that is now gone and in place is mike mcdola's bram stoker's dracula from 1992 produced by tops trading cards (laughs) yeah but and and it's interesting because tops tops comics always came polybagged Mm-hmm. And they came with trading cards. Yeah. Oh, so, God, I miss 90s uh, comic books with trading cards. I had a Wild Child trading card from X-Force 1. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the actual, the comic itself was written by Roy Thomas, who adapted it from the film, penciled by Mike Mignola, inked by John Nyberg, and... I'm not sure because the version I'm looking at is the IDW re-release mm-hmm. from a few years ago. It Which says is Mar- pretty. It uh, it is pretty. The oh, recoloring it's... is so stark. It actually makes it even better. Yeah, I'm not sure who did the colors in the original. Uh, let me see if I can find that real yeah. quick. And it, it's not that they did anything wrong in the original. It's just the photo, the, the stock of the paper ate so much of the color and dulled it. And and that would only get worse with time. Uh, this is beautiful, crisp, clean, unmarked, unbled. Like, yeah. the, the big problem with this comic uh, is that the original bled 
because Mike McNola tends to print in black. Yeah. A lot of black. It it actually the the IDW book has has some original pages and into by which I mean they have Mike McNola's pencils printed in the back. And if you're unfamiliar with the way comics works, uh pencilers don't generally sit there and fill in all the black. They put X's where the black is going to be. And Mike McNola's pencils have X's all over the fucking place. Just every like that poor man's hand. It is it is just a an insane number of X's uh all over that page. But it's wonderful and I love the I love this book. I cannot this is this is the the first book this is the first comic we've covered that I am unabashedly saying I love this go read it if you haven't absolutely and 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 that it's an adaptation of a film like there are countless film adaptations we're going to get into some of them that are just like absolute fucking train wrecks absolute train wrecks things go wrong characters look terrible uh essentially the entire film is sold down the river this is kind of the opposite this makes a film that many people found to be disappointing actually live up to the crazy dark sexiness that was promised yeah yeah i i absolutely cannot stress so everything I'm finding says that Mark Chiarello did the the colors for the originals. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's the case or not, but yeah, at the very least, he did them for the IDW re-release, and they're beautiful. But seriously, this is this is one I cannot stress how much you are missing out if you've never read it yeah th- this is this is a fantastic uh either uh, depending on how you read it either uh collected uh special from idw or the original i i want to say two to three issues uh, uh it was four four issues i i haven't dug out my copy in a while it's it you know it it's it's been a while i download a fresh copy onto my ipad to read this uh as you were saying like the the day i got my hands on this uh book was a really good day <laughs> uh yeah I, I remember uh a comic book shop the biggest comic book shop in the city strange adventures was moving out from one location downtown to another location and they were moving out of an old colonial building. So their stock room was like a literal stock room. It had once like held like beer kegs or, or bales of hay or some shit. And it was deep and dank and dark. And right. so product for like 30 years had gotten thrown into there. And while they were pulling everything out and moving it, they were essentially having a fire sale everything has to go we have way too much stuff and my friend who worked there 
held on to a, a special box that they found and only like only told people that he like was was good friends with and and I was one of them. I I was able to score this in this box unopened were just I I want to say 20 copies of each one of those four issues absolutely untouched mint condition. Yeah. And I have them about 20 feet away from me right now. I just haven't dug them out because I I read them twice and I put them back in because I realized exactly what I had my hands on and I have yeah. not touched them. I have not sullied them since. Yeah. Well, yeah, it it really is. You know, I back in the 90s. I didn't have occasion to read Hellboy at the time. Mm -hmm. I was aware of it because of course I read wizard magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, isn't it fascinating how we were, you could always be aware of all this stuff. Like I was aware of danger girl, but I never got a chance to read danger girl until like 15 years later. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. It is really, it's really odd how you know i mean we have the internet now so if you make an effort to follow comics news you can follow pretty much everything but back in the day you know before before the internet was really everywhere your main dial in to what was going on was wizard magazine and you know hellboy was one of those things i saw appearing in wizard magazine and i always made a note to be like i need to check that out at some point mm-hmm. uh and then eventually i did get around to it but the reason i even read it in the first place was because mike mignola did this bram stoker's dracula and i was like <laughs> I will I will happily read anything this man does. Holy shit. Um yeah, I I don't remember the first time I like read about Hellboy. I'm I'm sure as as with you it was in the pages of Wizard magazine. Garb Sheamus had strict control over my youth apparently, but uh, I definitely remember reading uh, I want to say the first three volumes of Hellboy around the time that the first movie came out and like going quite hard for that. I, I used to have the three disc set uh, that came with mm. like a copy of a comic and stuff. And and then uh, someone stole that from me because it was too awesome to to have, of course. Right. Uh, yeah. Like I went hard for Hellboy and this was years before I got my hands on this comic book so the second I saw the cover it was like holy fucking shit uh, a Mike Mignola cover of Dracula oh it, I'll, I'll buy the comic for that oh he drew the whole thing oh oh well then fuck you take my wallet <laughs> yeah I yeah I this fucking book I he <laughs> It could be silent. It we you could strip the dialogue out of it, especially with like everyone knows Dracula. Uh, most people have seen this movie. You know what the fuck's happening. Piss off. You don't need dialogue. 
this could be a completely silent four issue comic and it'd just be yeah. like ah you'd be you'd be sitting there going oh the children of the night you know and all of that yeah. like you know it's fucking dracula <laughs> jonathan harker bumbles his way into this old dude's castle ignores all the red flags oh hello i am from london hello yes yeah well and that on and honestly i think this is that's one of the reasons this is preferable to the movie is you don't have to sit through keanu i love keanu reeves i unabashedly love keanu reeves but that was that was hard it was hard to love him then it it was a brave Um, performance it was so brave brave. of him yeah absolutely (laughs) but like you know there's a lot of bravery i don't want to sit through (laughs) you know like it's very brave for a firefighter to run into a burning house but i don't want to like watch them burn you know and that's kind of that's kind of the thing here is just like it's very brave. Call me when it's over. Uh, <laughs> Call me know. when we get to Gary Oldman. But okay, we're good now. But it it is you don't have to you don't have to suffer through Keanu Reeves doing an English accent. Yeah, and it's just like it is so you know. It was clear looking at this in the 90s. This is someone special. Oh, yeah. Like there is there. This 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 book indicates that this is someone special. It's 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 an incredibly beautiful book. But like there are moments in it that like should not exist in terms of how bizarrely awesome they are and how well it captures what was happening or like it uh, embedders it even so like yeah. in the 1992 bram stoker's Dra- dracula by francis ford coppola renfield the crazy assistant of dracula who was like actually jonathan's predecessor is played by tom waits now tom waits is a pretty out there weird guy uh oh yeah famously Heath ledger based his joker on tom waits so right that, that's an indication of, of something and you you know you say that you say that that is not something that i intellectually knew but i instinctually knew that mm-hmm. like watching the dark knight it was just like that joker is tom waits it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's tom waits there's yeah. there's an interview that Tom Waits did in the sixties or seventies, um, and it's the exact voice that Heath Ledger yo- uh, used, and it's like, oh my sweet god, that is terrifying. It's just sitting yeah. there smoking, chain smoking a cigarette, and being really coy about answers about his music. I've seen that interview, and I one hundred percent, I yeah, because he's sitting there and like he's wearing like a black jacket and a black hat yes and he's like sitting there hunched over in this chair while the guy's interviewing him and he's just like really evasive and clearly high out of his gourd oh so high out of his gourd so like this is a guy who radiates sinister already already yeah well-known radiator of sinister and a character who is 
well known to be quite batshit insane. Like, eats yeah. bugs crazy off the wall. And Tom Waits really goes for the performance in this movie. He's he's flapping his straight jacket arms around and screaming bloody murder. And it it works on screen. Mike McNola makes it work better because Tom Waits looks like Mike McNola drew him. Yeah. It, it, like it, it it it's almost one of those things of like sometimes every now and then it'd be nice to pretend that like art creates history. Like, oh, yeah. this thing didn't occur until someone invented it, and then we all remember it that way. Tom Waits didn't exist <laughs> until Mike McNola drew that, and then this thing popped into existence. And then it had just always been. Yeah, yeah. And so powerful was its chaos that it created a Joker. Yeah. Ah! Yeah, I... I don't want this entire episode to just be like us slobbering over this book, but seriously, I'm I'm gonna slobber over this book. Well, like um, if, if every other episode had been us slobbering over books or just taking them down and not exploring the business aspects of them or the culture at the time or how they impacted things. That's one thing. But this is a slobber over book. It is a sign of great things to come. Every single page, every single panel is bizarrely, grotesquely, gothically gorgeous. And for what is essentially just like movie and TV adaptations in comic books are usually pretty crap. Like... They yeah. get pumped out, you read them, you sell what you can, you dump what you, the rest of them off onto the aftermarket, whatever, you move on. Tops made an entire, you know, uh, essentially took took a, a, a try at, at running the entire industry of adaptations. They, they tried to get everything they could, and they actually put decent creative teams who did what they could. There are good stories that they told it wasn't just fucking garbage and that that's i think the biggest tale that this has to tell the biggest part of this is this was indicative and and probably the high watermark unfortunately at the beginning but indicative of the the attempt like like the failed the 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 loss that there is in like not having a, a company like tops anymore making comics that are a little off the beaten path, you know, not right. necessarily what you're going to buy, but every now and then, if you actually check it out, it's a gem. And yeah, that's, it's not that we don't have movie adaptations anymore. It's just like, we don't have a one company who is committed there all to it. And therefore everything is a gamble and everything is 100% everything against the wall. Well, I think I think because this was always kind of a side hustle, it freed the because Topps Comics, the editor in chief was Jim Salakrup, who has a long history in comics. Mm-hmm. But I think because Topps Topps is a trading card company, yeah, and that is that is their bag. Uh, I think because of that, it may have freed Salakrip up to attempt some of those things. And not all of them panned out. 
But, you know, whatever else may happen, their run gave us Mike Mignola doing Bram Stoker's Dracula. And it will have always been worth it. It will have always been worth it. Also, that Mars Attacks uh, series is pretty fucking sweet, too. You you could tell me, I mean, in the same way that Mike Mignola maybe retroactively created Tom Waits, you could tell <laughs> me that Tops somehow engineered, I don't know, malaria. And I would be like, wow, that sucks. But they did Bram Stoker's Dracula, so... I don't know. I can give them that. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> there there have been worse companies in the history of comic books and uh, lower successes than Bram Stoker's Dracula, as drawn by Mike Mignola. Like, if yeah. if you I- I- even if your company crapped out over two decades ago, at the very least, you can turn around and be like, yeah, but. Holy shit, did that kick ass. I We brought that into the world, and that ain't nothing. I really cannot... You know, the first issue has this black and red cover that has just stayed with me since, since I was a kid. I mean, I would have been... I would have been 10? Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that, that, would, that would stick with you... It has, it has really stayed with me that entire time just because it is, it's an incredibly striking cover. Yeah, it, it, it was that cover. Like the second my friend showed it to me, it, I, I only thought it was the like, oh, it's a cover and the inside is done by someone else. But like, that's a beautiful cover. I'll, I'll gladly pay five bucks for that cover. And it, you know, oh, uh, the fact that that cover is just one of, Ah, hundreds of drawings by Mike Mignola that you're about to enjoy. Yeah. My God. Yeah. So, yeah, just (laughs) go and read it. Go Go and pick up, if you can find a copy of the, I think it was a hardcover. I believe so. That IDW put out. It's pretty. Go and buy it. It is worth every penny uh regardless of what you pay for it it is worth every penny you will be so happy to have had a copy of this of this book so yeah go go get it now like ordinarily i think we we do like a like and subscribe (laughs) we want you to do all of that but like more importantly go out and buy this book yeah, either on the way to buying this book right now, which you better be, share, like, and subscribe. But if you must, if you must, put the phone down, pick up the book, read the book, read the entire book, then come back, share, like, and subscribe, and leave a comment about how fucking awesome that was. And how great we are for telling you it exists. Gosh, we know. sure are great. You know what's not great, though? The next adaptation that we're talking about next week. The original Marvel Star Wars madness. Hey, you know what? I am on board 
to see green bunny smugglers. What are you saying? That's not Bucky O'Hare. That's Bucky (laughs) O'Hare. I will fight you. I will fight this comic and I will fight the late 1970s. So, you know what? You know what's weird? It's funny because Bucky O'Hare kind of tends to be viewed as a TMNT knockoff, even though, (laughs) even though the first issue of Bucky O'Hare did come out uh, like the same month as the first issue of TMNT uh, by Eastman and Laird. And in fact, Larry Hama has said they created the book in like 1979. So given that the Star Wars character, whose name I forget, (laughs) predates that, like, what are you fucking hiding, Larry Hama? What, what did you do? Well, he, he he clearly has at least really sexy photos of George Lucas to have gotten away with it and not been sued at some point. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> does Lucas care about Expanded Universe that much? Like, is, is anybody getting sued for ripping off Luke <laughs> or anything? Oh, God, we're going to have to go into that one. But that's a tale for another time. See you next week. Bye. (laughs) Bye.